You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Chelsea. And today we are going to do a follow up on a case that we did a couple weeks ago. I can't even remember. I want to say it was in July that we did it. The case is on Jesse Farber. And honestly, if you did not listen, I highly suggest that you do listen because we're really not going to go over all of the details and all the specifics. And if you're a little bit fuzzy on it, it might be best if you caught up so you can understand like as we're moving through this it is episode 71 from oh, july you. 1st i thought it was july i couldn't remember that was a while ago it feels like the summer has like gone i know august august was a blink it was yeah. insane crazy so i will be a hundred percent honest about this and grace can attest not only have i but all of us have kind of been going back and forth on this follow-up episode for various reasons especially for me, because um, I'm the one that did it. So I was the one that was handling a lot of all the extra stuff that we'll get into. So the majority of the time that we do a case, we are not really interfacing with the family. And I think we've said it a couple times, like, don't reach out to the family. You know, it's a touchy subject, especially for some of these cases that have been cold for so long. And unless we are kind of approached by a family or a friend to do a case, we're not really talking to people that close to the case, basically. And we do get feedback after, you know, a couple months, maybe like a year at this point, you know, families will down the line, find our content and they'll listen most of the times and they will kind of get back to us. They'll be like, Hey, you did good. There's some corrections. They'll just let the, us know how happy they are that someone covered their case. Cause we do a lot of cases that are unknown and they just kind of give like honest feedback. And a lot of the times they don't do it on like our public forums, we get a lot of stuff that's emailed. And honestly, it makes it worth it, at least for me. I'm going to talk for myself. That's what makes it worth it for doing the podcast because we're not making money. And when we get those comments from these families, yes, it kind of makes me feel like podcast has a purpose, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree. For yeah. myself as well. Yeah. So for on Jesse's particular case, I had not reached out to the family. He did have a Facebook like memorial page, which we talked about. And I just did not want to put anything on there. Just was pulling everything from news articles, interviews, you know, the Reddit, the web sleuths and anything I could honestly find on the case. And as Grace has said, we did post that episode on July 1st. And Norma, his mother, reached out to us on our website on the 5th of July. So like not even four days, really. And I have been talking back and forth with her kind of since then. And honestly, it's really when either of us have a free moment. We've, you know, I've said before, I'm crazy busy as everyone on the podcast and these families, they have jobs and stuff like that just because they lose someone or someone's missing. Their life does not stop. So some calls, some texts trying to clear up some of the questions I had and I guess us as a podcast that we were not 100% sure on because like I said a lot of people will report on this stuff and if there's one error it could be followed through and we're not always 100% sure on some of the information so it was really good to talk to somebody obviously close to the case to get clarification. So Norma wasn't the only one who reached out to us. We've gotten so many comments, messages, DMs, you name it we got it and I think at least 
myself think it was like super shocking because all these comments and like conversations were just so drastic across the board. You would have one that would be like, hey, you did a great job. Just a couple errors to other like the other spectrum. Like, hey, you fucking suck and you got nothing right. (laughs) So it's been bonkers for sure. And it's like people, the family, people, his friends, locals, people who claim to know what happened, you know, anything and everything in between. I definitely think we got a lot of fake profiles commenting and doing stuff or, you know, it was just a lot. And it was super overwhelming. And I'm sure it was overwhelming for the other two. But for me specifically, because it was, I guess, my quote unquote, my case, I felt like the need to be the one to respond to most of them, if you will. Um, And on the seventh year anniversary of Jesse going missing, which was the 11th of August, everything blew up exponentially. It was like amazing. (laughs) Like we get a couple things trickling in here and there. But then on that day, everything went off. And you know, this is not our full time job. Right now, all three of us are extremely busy, especially for Sarah, who is a teacher. Can't even imagine how that is. And you know, we wanted to respond to everyone that's reaching out and make sure that we are conveying the right information and emotions without taking all the info that they're providing us and trying not to make it personal, which is very hard. I will say I struggled with it the most, obviously. (laughs) Because it is my case. Absolutely. I totally, totally understand. Because we do, we try to give you the most accurate information. We really do bend over backwards because we, it's important that the right information gets out. And we really try really hard. It's just, you know, sometimes all we have is what's out there. Exactly. Unless a family requests that we cover a loved one or something like that. Like Chelsea said, you know, we don't see it as our place to kind of bother them with these questions. So we we just do the best we can. We really do. We really care. Absolutely. And that's why it can be so personal for us at times, um, because we invest a lot of time into these. I got to say, this is probably my most invested case. And I have put at least over a dozen hours of just talking to people. And that's just talking to people. That doesn't include the tons of hours of research and watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, Um, just to make sure, you know, you're not really missing anything. And it becomes, I feel like, how did I put it? The other week I told Grace that I was basically consumed by it. And, And it was, I felt a pressure for this case because I have this family contacting me pretty regularly. We tell them we're going to do something and then we kind of get other backlash from other people. And it's just a hard thing to keep up with, especially because we are busy. It's not our full-time job. And I honestly just don't want to disappoint families or people of loved ones because that's not what we're trying to do either at all. And, you know, I really just needed things to settle for a couple of weeks before we could really do it. And I we tried to do it last week and I still clearly was not settled because we didn't do it last week. So, you know, we're doing it and this is going to be like the last follow-up unless there is like an actual break in the case. Which we hope for. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be the last one for us uh, on this one. And really just looking back at it, it just really shows that all these loved ones with these harsh emotions and comments, they really just shows how much they loved Jesse and how much he meant to them. Yeah kind of like an overflow of emotions. They don't know who to direct it to. They're obviously hurting and it needs to be put on somebody. And so like, I guess I can see it, but at the time it really sucks and hurts. So just trying to work on that. I have to second that. I mean, we've all had, maybe not to this extent, but we've all had people reach out about cases that are very close to the victims and it it can really hurt. It can. 
Yeah. And we we know that we have no idea what they're going through, but it's it can be very hard not to take personally in the name yes. of honesty. We just have to say it. It can hurt. It can. Um, which is strange because like we personally didn't know them, but after working so closely on doing this stuff, it feels like you kind of know them in a sense, if you will. Sure. And you know, unlike the families, we aren't thinking of these cases day in and out. So sometimes it's hard to convey how we feel or show how much we care or appreciate, you know, families working with us and talking with us and just kind of trying to be respectful on both ends. Um, and my overall takeaway from this case is that Jesse has some fierce fighters in his corner looking for answers. And all I can say is one day, I hope at least a fraction of these questions get answered. So with that, you know, we're going to get into this at this point. We typically have like a set flow of how, you know, we t each of us tell these stories. But today it's going to be completely changed up because it is definitely different. It is a follow up one. As I said, I talked to a couple of people. So I'm just going to put it by the person that I talked to. We'll go over how they felt, what they think, you know, anything that I thought was important to put in we'll put in and we'll go person by person and just go go like that until it's done and again i'm gonna say if you haven't listened to his case i highly suggest you do it just so you know where we are when we're talking about stuff so the first one we're gonna do is norma's point of view as i said before norma is jesse's mother jesse was her first son and she had him very young she expressed that they had a special type of connection Norma claims that they could almost feel or sense each other, you know, along with this connection, which I totally get. I had my son extremely young and our connection is pretty intense, I think. I mean, Grace is with us a lot. I think you can tell. We're pretty For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Norma said that Jesse was a very deep person, so it kind of makes sense. It just seems like he made deep connections with people. And obviously, because there's so many people fighting for answers for him, she hasn't been able to feel this connection since he went missing, though she believes that he has sent her help and put people in her life to help her get through these trying times. Since Jesse went missing, Norma created the Where's Jesse's Missing Person and Cold Cases nonprofit. She is still holding out hope that there is a possibility of finding him. I asked her since we just passed the seventh year mark if the family would move to have him declared dead because, you know, in PA, it's seven years. Yep. Unless I think you can prove there's no body, if you can prove like reasons for. Sure. Yep. I, I don't know. The only thing I can think about is that alligator case when that woman claims that her husband went like alligator hunting and insisted that like alligators ate him. So they like declared him dead super early compared to usual. Right. So things like that. So just like nothing's been found. It's been like a super mystery. So obviously they had to wait that seven year mark. Mm hmm. Jesse was not married, so Norma is the next of kin, and Jesse did have children, but they're not of the age to make that decision yet. They have to be 18 for that. She flat out said, a body hasn't been discovered, so why should I? Which, I mean, it is a very valid point, you know. Until you're sure, I get it. Yeah. She did say, though, that if and when his kids become of age and they want to do that, she would totally understand. But right now, I guess it's her obligation and she wants that that choice. So she's keeping her foot down on that. She hopes when her grandchildren are older that she will not only be able to form a relationship with them, but, you know, have them help with figuring out this, um, this case. She said that 
she never really had a relationship with them from the beginning. And looking back, she said that Jesse and her, you know, would kind of be on off on and off again over the years, kind of have like their spats and not really talk because they're both like she said that they both could be pretty stubborn. And I'm a stubborn person. So I get that. I was going to say you probably don't understand what that's like. Oh, you don't? No, I was saying you probably oh, don't understand yeah. what that's like. But yeah. And facetiously <laughs> uh, yeah um so you know they'd get in disagreements for things such as like his large tattoos she disapproved of it so they would like not be happy and like looking back i think she feels like those were stupid things to be upset about and maybe she's you know kicking herself for that lost time sure. but you can never know what's gonna happen you know yeah absolutely yeah so it was just kind of like small silly things that you know and i grew up where my grandparents didn't want me to have tattoos. It was just kind of like their rules and it can put like a sore spot in some people's, you know, step when you're doing something that they don't, I guess, believe in or want you to do. You know, it's your child and you're upset this is happening. So, you know, with their little tiffs, Jesse was in a relationship, he had kids and his partner, you know, would kind of be taking Jesse's side, you know, obviously. And then it became a hard relationship between Jesse's partner and Norma. So seeing the kids really wasn't something that was kind of happening, mm -hmm. if you will. She did say that Jesse would bring um, <clears throat> his son over a couple times for like very short visits just to like see her. But it was not that much. And since he's been missing, Norma hasn't seen them at all. And it also seems that Norma has not talked to Jesse's partner either since the disappearance, at least not face to face. I've been on a couple of social media sites and they definitely get their digs in it and at each other but it's on social media it's not face to face and i i always wonder what would happen if it was face to face because i don't think it would go very well but we are going to go into the corrections that norma provided us um things that i either got wrong or wasn't 100 percent sure about like i said this is strictly from norma's perspective so the first thing is jesse's partner at the time her name was rachel in that last episode i did have that right but i wasn't honestly 100% sure. And I didn't really, I couldn't make out from the articles and listening to other podcasts and the YouTube, whether they were actually together, not together, separated. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. And that's like, relationships are hard. I'm trying to get it from like, you know, a source that isn't someone like close to you. It can be kind of hard. I think it was just hard to figure out. And, you know, Norma said that they were dating. They had been together for seven years, which is a long time. That's definitely a long time partner. But they kind of did split around the time of his disappearance. And in our last episode, um, it was mentioned that it was about money. That's what we brought up. That's what I saw in an article. But Norma says at the time, Jesse came to her and she did say that they were kind of working on their way to good terms, but it wasn't about money. She says that he told her it was about porn on his phone. And, you know, I didn't really realize how controversial of a topic, you know, that was. I'm in a group that I think you're in too, a Facebook group. It's like a bathroom body works <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> yes. That's pretty crazy. And um, I guess like a married woman found porn on her husband's phone and she was like really upset about it and asking people's opinions. And I guess I just didn't understand the other side. But apparently some people think that's cheating. Yeah. I mean, I definitely know that. I'd like, I don't find it personally to be a big deal, but there are a lot of people that have a problem with that. For sure. It's it's fairly common, I would say. To have a problem with it? Yeah. I oh. mean, I wouldn't, I'm not going to jump and say it's a majority of people, but there are certainly quite a 
There's definitely a group of people, especially huh. um, if religion comes into play. Oh, that's a huge thing, too. Didn't think but, about that. Yeah. I mean, yep. Everybody's different. I just don't know how someone could consider cheating if they're not like forming a emotional or physical attachment to someone doing it. I don't know. I could see. I've heard stories of people getting attached to like, what are they like? E-girls e or. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like paying tons of money just to see a specific person and getting to talk to them or making I could see that. But just like general porn. I don't know. Hmm. So Everybody is super different. I mean, that's true. And it. You know, it could be kind of a generational thing, too. Oh, because I think yeah. they were like a little bit older than us. So we're millennials and up, I feel like, are pretty accepting of a lot of things That's true. that maybe past generations. It was pretty taboo. Um, That's true. You know, to be interested in porn. So and yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. I don't it, know. I feel but. like also that some people are like, how do you know you're not watching a video of someone underage or if you're watching someone that's being forced to, but then you have all these websites like OnlyFans, and yeah. a lot of that does get leaked to porn sites. Um, oh yeah, because they're looking to make money without having to do a ton of videos, so they post on multiple sites. So I don't know. It's interesting. I find it interesting. Anyway, um, so that's what Norma says. Jesse told her that it was kind of about that issue. Um, and she says that, you know, we mentioned in last episode, but didn't know the specifics, you know, he got served with uh child support paperwork, um, on the 15th, the day that he went missing. Um, and this paperwork had said that Jesse had already provided $700. So how can it be about money then if he gave money? I don't know. So just something to think about. Um, from Norma's perspective, um, that's what she said. Jesse told him her. Jesse told her. Um, so next point, um, in our last episode, there was a lot of, I guess, mystery surrounding whether or not Jesse was an addict. Uh, Norma says that he was more of a recreational drug user. She said he would like take Adderall, Percocets, and he had done meth, um, but was not exactly an addict. And I will say, you know, I know people who have dabbled and not gotten hooked, but I personally believe that's like a super slippery road. It definitely is, but it it really depends on your personality, too. It's just interesting. Like, Ben, he has tried multiple things, but he doesn't really have that addictive personality. Yeah. So he could truly dabble. He's done some things like once, and he's like, that was cool. I'm done. <laughs> but... No. Yeah, for me, if I I've never tried hard drugs in my entire life and I feel like if I did, I would very much risk getting hooked right away. So it's just again, everyone's so different. Exactly. And who's to say maybe he just started kind of dabbling and maybe if he didn't go missing, maybe things would be different. You you know. And when we talked about it, he did and it was confirmed. Um Norma confirmed it. She had actually broken into all his social media accounts. And so on our last episode, we talked a lot about how he was messaging people on Facebook Messenger. And she did say that he did buy meth the night before he went missing or through the 14th into the 15th. So he was buying meth and he did do okay. meth. He shared it. I don't I can't remember exactly how much it wasn't a lot, but he shared it between him and his friends. So then our next point is in the last episode, we mentioned the tree that Jesse supposedly climbed. 
Norma actually provided us with a picture of um, this tree with a book bag on it. We did mention it. Um, a hunter found it and then texted Jesse's family. I believe if I remember correctly, he knew the grandfather, Jesse's grandfather, and they came. So there was a picture taken and she sent it to us. And holy snap, it looks like a damn twig. I have no idea how it even supported a book bag, let alone an entire person. And Jesse is not that big, but I mean, the tree looked like it was like bending from a book bag. I just have no idea how it would hold a person. Yeah, it was a, it's a strange looking photo and I'll put it on the blog. I'll update the blog <clears throat> when this episode comes out. Yeah. And the crazy thing to think of, like this bag wasn't found immediately. It was almost like two years. It was like two winters after Jesse went missing. So it's like. I just don't get it. I don't know. You'll have to look at the picture and definitely like tell us what you think, because I don't think it could have held that for that long. Um, Norma also said that this backpack was found on the other side of the mountain where the initial search was kind of taking place. Um, And we'll get into that more with the next one, which is this phone call. Um, As mentioned before, the last episode, Jesse's ex called the cops and told them of this frantic phone call Jesse made about coyotes chasing him. Norma said it was confirmed that Jesse's phone made the call, but she is dying to know, did Jesse actually make that phone call? She also questions if there was a conversation that didn't involve coyotes, because we don't know what that conversation was at all. And we never will um, Mm -hmm. at all. And she wanted me to make it very clear that the ping on the phone that, you know, the investigators found after the fact, it wasn't a direct pin, but a triangulation. Uh, and if you don't remember, Tamaqua is surrounded by three mountains. So was Jesse even on that mountain? Sure. Plus, to this day, Jesse's phone has not been found, which if you follow the story, he ran off in a panic. Isn't it likely he would have possibly dropped his phone? I mean, running in the dark, trying to have a conversation in a forested mountain. I just think that, you know, that phone call haunts Norma because she just has so many of her questions kind of surround that phone call, really. Um, sure. And those are things like you really can't get answers for. Um, So it's rough. She's, you know, obviously upset about it. So with that, we're going to go into her theories. You know, when I first talked to her, she was telling me all these crazy rumors. And, you know, she talked to all his friends, everyone that she knew, everyone that knew him locals in town that might have talked to people that knew Jesse, you know, etc. And she still follows up with these locals even after seven years. And some of the rumors were just so outlandish. <laughs> and but the thing is, she just laughed and said over time, you just aren't even surprised or phased by what comes out of people's mouth. And it isn't stuff just about her, just in general. She kind of was like, I don't know how a human being could do this stuff. Like some of these, what these rumors suggest. Mm-hmm. And she was like, and gosh, if they're true, like how awful is to think my last my son's last memories could have been this crazy rumor that you might only see in the movies. But is it real? You know? Yeah. And that's just awful to think about as well. I mean, you're com- absolutely your mind could like run amok thinking about all the possibilities because like we see the news. People do the craziest shit in the world. Like, I really do. They really, really do. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, oh, Oh. so we're going to go over to that kind of stick out to her. And she feels that they are most credible. 
Um, Jesse had a best friend named Brad. They had known each other for years because Norma babysat him as a kid. Brad was a heavy drug user and made kind of poor choices. He was a hothead and at some point developed feelings for Jesse's ex and can't exactly pinpoint when that happened. But after Jesse went missing, Rachel and Brad were dating. Brad's sister and Norma have had conversation that it is possible that there was a fight between Brad and Jesse. Did Brad's hot-headed actions lead to an accident? We've heard and seen so many similar cases. You know, I had just come across a TikTok where a team was breaking up his friend's bar fight and he punched the guy that was harassing his friend. And that one punch, you know, the guy fell back, hit his head and was dead. And yeah. it wasn't his like, intention to murder him but right. that action led to his death and you know these people are younger you know you panic you're worried you're a drug user you know people know you is it something you really want people to know about or maybe did they hesitate and then it's like too late to call you don't know we've we've reported on some incidences and we've you know we watch so much true crime we've seen kind of all the scenarios i suppose you know it's just could it have been an accidental murder and they covered it up you hear me i cat. could see it yes <laughs> <laughs> i could see that as a possibility for yeah. sure and would it make it more convincing if you were to know that brad shot himself and it was ruled a suicide that's for all you listeners. Um, and just to plant a seed in your head, this won't be the last time you hear this name. Hint, hint, wink, wink, basically. Okay. Yep. Because we're going to cover that case. Um, then her second one, it's this guy that went by the nickname. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be pronounced Big Homie, but it's not spelled correctly. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, and I don't know if it's meant to not be spelled correctly because, like, my nephew, he does, like, he, like, says all these words and uses these words, but they're not spelled correctly, but it's, like, the in thing. So I just don't know if I'm not hip enough to recognize it. I don't know. This is just what I was given. And um, he was a druggie in the area, and he had admitted while in jail that he was responsible for Jesse's disappearance. He had even reached out to Norma looking to talk, but she never really followed through. Of course... Um, he has passed away now because of a drug overdose. Um, and Norma is super worried that people will go to the grave knowing where Jesse is or what happened. And we'll never know. You know, drugs are so prevalent in Tamaqua. Just this past July, it was their seventh annual Out of the Darkness Into the Light Festival. And their main focus is to bring the awareness of drug overdoses and show the kids or teens, even adults, that you can have fun without substances. Yeah, but that's important. For it sure. is important. But it's hard when you already have a town that is so, I guess, basically addicted. How how are you get out of that? You know, I think drug use is very, very common in a lot of small towns. Oh, yeah. I just it's certainly. Not just Tamaqua, there's. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of towns in general, but small towns. For yeah. sure. Yeah, so it's it's hard, you know. It's very sad. And it is a huge possibility because, like, you know, you can dry, die any day of an overdose. Um, you don't plan it. Um, my dad died of a drug overdose. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before. Um, 
And the last thing he did was he was eating cereal and singing to me. I'm pretty sure uh, the next thing he planned on doing was not dying. Um, but you never know when this stuff is going to happen. And if no one's there to give you life-saving measures, I mean, I was one. I don't even remember. It's just what I'm, I'm told. If you don't have life-saving measures, how are you supposed to save someone? Mm-hmm. And I think since, like, Narcan has become pretty, like, at least in bigger areas. It might be harder for small towns like this, but Narcan is carried uh, by the fire department. And I just found out through my recent CPR class that you can actually bar- buy Narcan if you have, um, like, a loved one with a drug problem you can get narcan at like walgreens it's only like 30 bucks and you can it gives you instructions on how to administer it and you can buy a couple i didn't, I know, didn't that. know that i had no idea yep there i have never once i've been cpr certified since i've been like 16 or 17 so it's been like a hot minute and i have never been in a cpr class that ever mentioned narcan until this last time and i guarantee it's because so many times the fire department's called out i don't think police carry it but the fire department definitely carries narcan and it's just so much taxpayers money and there was a huge debate i know at least in philly whether if they have administered narcan to you how many times until they stop which is right. like, are they legally allowed to just not give you life-saving measures? But then they're not really paying for it. These people really don't have, you know, health insurance. So then it comes from taxpayers' money. And it's a huge, like, debate. Absolutely. So that's why Norma's so worried that, you know, we may never know because these people are are dying of drug overdoses in this town. So... Our overall takeaway with Norma, you know, as I said before, I had two long phone calls and a whole lot of text messages with her as she remembered information or wanted something added. Um, The first time we talked, I was curious about her feelings on Jesse's ex. They're obviously not friends, not even friendly by any stretch of the imagination. Norma strongly believes that Jesse's ex has information that could lead to the whereabouts of Jesse. It's not so much that she believes she had any physical role or planning in it. It just might be she just might know something small that could just lead to something big, if you will. And, you know, honestly, I feel like when something tragic like this happens, everyone could potentially become like a suspect. How do you know they are telling the truth? Like a lot of finger pointing, you know. Norma no longer lives in the area, and I don't blame her at all. I could not imagine. Um, and she said that Jesse and his ex, as I said before, were together for seven years at the time of his disappearance. Um, he was adamant to Norma that he was done this time with his um, partner. He was planning to leave the area. He's fixing up his motorcycle and was waiting on new tires he ordered. She sounded so sad because she said the tires arrived at her mom's house after he went missing. Oh, God. Yeah. So if this was like a couple days later, who knows? Maybe he would have gotten away from town to clear his head, figure his life out. And this maybe not would have happened. But he was waiting on those. sad. Oh, yeah. And that's something she lives with. Um, And just to remind everyone, Jesse was living with his grandparents. So that's why the tires went to her mom's house. It was her parents. Um, Right. Norma believes in her heart that this relationship that she that Jesse had with his ex was a toxic one. She said that Jesse was stressed because his ex would kind of hold his kids over his head constantly. And um, 
She just said he really wanted to get away, but she doesn't think any of that had to do with his disappearance. She is very concerned because there's other missing men in that area as well. She's worried what if there's a serial killer or, you know, things like, I mean, the, the general things that you think of and these other, well, there's five cases in total. So Jesse's one. So there's four. So, and they don't really get a lot of coverage either. And there's a lot of questions kind of like here, like things that just don't add up, if you will. Um, mm hmm. So she really just wants answers. Uh, she's been in talks with the Steve Wilco show and she might do an, uh, I guess like a TV episode with him. I guess basically, you know, they take lie detector tests and stuff. Apparently, Jesse's partner was reached out to by staff to be on the show to take a lie detector test. Apparently, it was going to happen, but then she stopped all communication with them. And, you know, Norma just asked a question like, you know, there he's the father of your children like why why not and it does kind of raise flags but as we say all the time lie detector tests are not at what is it admissible in court. oh admissible in court yeah i was gonna say too i don't know that i would want to take a lie detector test especially on like a tv show i just i don't know that doesn't feel good to me i don't feel like it would just the lie detector test would prove anything yeah by itself so it's hard. Like some people live by those lie detector tests. I mean, it was not that long ago when cops took that kind of as face value, even though it wasn't admissible in court, they could judge a whole entire opinion on you by whether you failed or passed one of those tests. Yes. So, I mean, who knows? And with that, we're going to move on to Rachel. So Rachel reached out to us along with her friends and family. First, someone claiming to be Jesse's friend messaged us on one of our socials. It happened to be on the seventh anniversary of Jesse going missing. Like I mentioned, we got blown up that day. You know, it was casual talk at first, but then things kind of shifted. It went from giving information about Jesse to defending and talking about Rachel, which led to Rachel and her sisters blowing us up as well. And I really wish I got the chance to talk to Rachel on the phone other than her being on the defensive on like a Facebook messenger chat. Uh, you know, this phone conversation, we could you know, really kind of talk. I feel like she was frustrated, maybe kind of blindsided by the fact she didn't know that we were going to do a case, but I don't, no one was, we weren't in talks with Norma at that time. Um, so she was heated to say the least. Um, and you know, unfortunately she wouldn't have the phone call with me because she was adamant that she would not talk to me if I talked to kind of anyone else, especially Norma, other than her, which kind of made me raise my eyebrow, but do what you got to do. The information that I pulled for this portion is from a, uh, what is it? Let's think. What is it? It is a YouTube channel run by Danelle Halony, and she spoke directly with Rachel regarding the disappearance of her ex. And I believe like they did do an interview, but she was not like it wasn't the interview wasn't recorded. So basically, um, this Danella or Danelle, sorry about pronunciation. It's one of those. Um, you only heard her cover it and say, you know, per Rachel, per Rachel, per Rachel. And Rachel did tell me that she did that interview and gave Danelle all the, all the facts. So I feel confident when I'm telling Rachel's perspective that it did come from Rachel. So with that, we're going to talk about it. And I did just want to touch on one thing because, you know, I don't think it's a hundred percent clear. I'm going to make it clear right now. Um, in case. Certain people are listening to this one. You know, we list theories and they are not created by us. Sometimes we'll like put in like our two cents about something that we feel we have some kind of knowledge on, which some people like to disagree that we don't. And that's whatever. 
you have your belief, do you? We look at Reddit, we do look at WebSleuth, and if there are memorial pages, fake Facebook pages, whatever, we spend a lot of time on those combing through comments, pulling information. So we never say that these series are factual, and we do, I think, in a pretty good job. I mean, Jesus Christ, if I could talk, I think we do a pretty decent job of citing, at least in my opinion. We are not investigative journalists. We're not detectives. We give the information as we find it. You know, we aren't really on like a side of saying she did it, he did it. We just try to give all the facts from every single angle that we can. And like I said, we do make our own comments, but we're not like looking to solve these cases ourselves. We really just want the information to be out there. So if like you saw something that might have been like peculiar, peculiar, maybe that's the right word. There you um, go. Yeah, trying. Um, and you didn't think of anything in it in that moment, but later on it could pertain to a case. You call it in and it could lead to something. And it does happen, you know. I've there's been tons of cases where someone saw something and didn't realize what they saw was actually important and it led to cases being solved. So that's kind of what we're doing, you know. That's all we're doing. With that. Danelle put out the video, Jesse Farber chased by coyotes and disappears on mountainside, which is a super long YouTube name. I am shocked. It is actually like, damn. Anyway, it was posted on January 12th, 2022. Uh, Within the first minute, Danelle states that Rachel had contacted her multiple times in every way possible. She says Rachel feels that there is more to the story than meets the eye and the hope with getting that episode posted was to bring awareness to the case and hope someone would come forward with information. Danelle states multiple times that Jesse has two young children and a large family that all want answers as to what happened. Rachel described Jesse as being the most amazing father by everyone that knew him and that he supported his children more than anything. She also went on to say that he was at every single event for his kids and always was cheering them on in life, which is honestly the greatest thing to hear. That's like, that pulls my heartstrings. Not everyone's about that life, but hey, I am. I think that's great. Now let's get into this disappearance. Rachel told Danelle or Danella. I'm just going to go with Danelle because I know I'm going to like, that's my go to. I think it's Danelle. Okay. Sorry. Not sorry. I'm trying. So Rachel told Danelle that she noticed a shift in Jesse right before he disappeared. It was August 1st that Jesse and Rachel got into an argument and he left. In this episode, Rachel says that the argument was over money. And like you just heard, Norma said it wasn't. We will never know. There's three sides to a story. One side, two sides and the truth. We're not putting any comment on it. I'm wondering, too, if that was just kind of like an arbitrary thing to say, because I don't. You know, everyone has a different opinion about porn. Yes. So if she was uncomfortable with him maybe viewing that, why why would you want to mention that during an interview? So I'm wondering if it was just something like that. Or maybe it's arbitrary in the fact that he were worried about porn and now your person's missing. I don't know. And we never will. I wish I had the chance to talk to her about it, but um, we don't. And maybe she'll reach out. Maybe she'll give us more. But like I said, we're not doing another follow up. So y'all will not know. Anyway, um, she claims 
that she started noticing large chunks of money disappearing. Not only that, but she would have to cover the portion of Jesse's bills because he couldn't afford them. So previously stated, he went to live with his grandparents. According to Rachel, by the end of the first, they had sorted out their issues and were going to try and move past this hurdle. Problem was, Jesse wanted to stay at his grandparents' property. It is also mentioned about him working on his motorcycle in this video while at his grandparents. So at least that was something I was able to, like, we could corroborate and like that definitely was happening. Rachel said she would go and visit him there and she did mention that Jesse was still very involved in the kids' lives at this point. So to Rachel, she felt things were kind of back to normal, but still thought Jesse's behavior was off. She, you know, said that he seemed nervous. He was exhausted, worried. And she basically said that he, w she could tell that he was in, in his head. He was in his head. So like, you know, deep thinking, trying to contemplate stuff, whatever. Though she would confront him and he would just shut it down, deny anything being wrong. Then we get to the 8th of August, which was the last time she saw him. She confronted him again, saying she needed him to come home. I mentioned a quote last episode, which is the same one that Danelle says, is that Jesse told Rachel, I have to do this on my own. But when it's over, when it's over, we'll all be together again. And the only thing I can really think is maybe, just maybe, you know, he was kind of like pushing her off, trying to figure out how to maybe get away to just clear his head. Like Norma mm -hmm. said, he wanted to get away. Sometimes we need a break. Seven years is a long time. Having kids is a hard thing. Damn, I mean, it is hard, you know. And sometimes we do need time. Mental health is like a huge thing that people don't want to talk about. I don't think we'll ever know really what Jesse was thinking ever in, in the you know, that two week span. But maybe he was just kind of like pushing her trying to say that everything was all right and maybe just take a little break to figure things out to come back to be better. You know, sometimes that's what relationships need. Honestly, yeah, I can certainly relate if that and was like, the case. And the thing is, like, I swear, sometimes I know people who get divorced and then have a better relationship after they're divorced. Like they're still together, but not married. Like, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. And I don't think we'll ever know. But you know, that is a strange thing to say to someone. Um, and that really confused Rachel. She didn't understand. On the 10th, his grandfather was giving him a ride into work. But before they got there, he changed his mind to be dropped into Makwa. There was a sighting of Jesse eating alone at Burger King around 3 p.m. You know, we did cover that last time. But it's interesting to know that this sighting was by Rachel's cousin. She said that in um, this YouTube thing. Then the story with ours from this point out to his disappearance matched. So like I said, you want to know more? Listen to the episode because I'm not going through all of it. It's a lot. And we're episode already like 71. <laughs> yeah, we're already so far in. I'm not going back. <laughs> no turning back now. Nope. We're in for the long one. Ugh. So I'm just going to be giving corrections at this point and updates based on Rachel's view. It's interesting to note that in the video, Danelle says that Rachel said Jesse gave the number of coyotes 10 to 11. I don't think that was mentioned in our last episode. Um, and I did go into some coyote facts on that episode, but, you know, 
I went into it again. I didn't really want to listen to the episode again. Um, cause I was kind of over everything at this point, but you know, coyote packs aren't typically that large. And I think like, don't quote me on my own words, but I'm pretty sure when I researched only, there's only been two deaths by coyotes ever in the it's US. It's not very common. It's, yeah. it's not very common. And Nell went into even more coyote facts, I believe, in her video. Um, so it's not common. I don't know if you go on to mention this, but we had said that it, you know, it was more of a Reddit theory that the coyotes were like a gang. And I know yeah. someone commented on one of our socials that was just like, the coyotes are definitely not a gang, LOL. And I mean, of course, that's only one person saying that, but I just, I assume they're a local and oh, probably think that's ridiculous. So yeah, that, that actually is not one of the theories that we mentioned today, but that was like a kind of really mentioned a lot in our last episode mm -hmm. um and funny i didn't mention it um but when i was talking to norma in our last episode we said like the cops did a huge drug bust in i think tamaqua and they were giving all these people chances to say if they had any information and they'd go light on their sentencing and she was like these people are getting busted for drugs. You think they're going to bring up a murder charge? She was like, that doesn't sound, she was like, these people aren't that dumb. She was like, they're dumb, but not that dumb. Yeah. And I agree. <laughs> like. That's true. If I were in that situation, why would, I would take the drug charge over a murder charge. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't going to mention it, but since you brought it up, I did think that was like a very valid point. <laughs> but, you know. So back to this YouTube, um, Rachel says that the phone call that she got from Jesse, that his voice was just being on the verge of tears and that it sounded like he was scared to death. And there, you know, you can get like, especially if you're with someone for that long, you know how their voice sounds at different emotional yeah. levels, if you will. She said it was just, it was traumatic. It was a traumatic phone call, she says for her. On this phone call, as we mentioned, he gave two different locations of his whereabouts, which I find interesting because in the beginning of the video, Rachel, Danelle did a direct quote from Rachel saying that Jesse loved the outdoors and knew Tamaqua like the back of his hand. But apparently on this night, he didn't. But you have to look at it. If you if you are scared to death, are you rationally thinking? I don't know. Some people are different when like emergencies happen. I know for me. I, I sometimes feel I'm the most clear-headed when an emergency happens. But, like, I know some people, like my sister, who is completely scatterbrained. And I'm just looking at her like, what the shit are you doing? Just deal with it. So Yeah, that's, that's me, unfortunately. Oh, I was <laughs> just having this conversation with Ben, like, a few weeks ago. And I think I told you guys about it because someone was choking at my oh. work and it really i mean i did what needed to be done it was just me and this person oh but gosh. just yeah, no generally choice. in an emergency i am just not i go completely scatterbrained and oh, lose really? my shit so yeah i can understand that i will say i've had to perform cpr and um the heimlich more than i'd like to admit um, and I don't know if it's just because I've done it so much that I'm just kind of like autopilot when it happens or if like an accident happens, it's just like 
like I said, I've been CPR for, I've been CPR certified and first aid certified for a very long time. I've seen a lot of it. Um, there's not much that really gets me rattled, but I do, like I said, I do know, and like yourself, it's just some people almost freeze when emergencies are happening because they don't know how to process. Yes, exactly. You're the type of person that would survive like an apocalypse. <laughs> ben always says he'll just leave me because I'll be dead weight and I don't blame him. <laughs> Everyone that I know, it's because of the couponing, the mega couponing, and all the food stock, like the food um, stockpile I have, and all the seeds. The couponing is something, really something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very impressive. Yeah. I'm a little bit crazy with everything. Um, Yeah, so it's, it's hard to tell. Like, yeah, he could be really great with it, but in that moment when he's terrified, being chased, whatever... Maybe it, it, who knows? Who knows why he gave two different um, locations at all? No, no one will ever know. Um, so Rachel said that her and her brother, they went searching for Jesse. Um, Rachel, I did not know this before, but Rachel apparently is very avid outdoors person. I mean, she told Danelle that. Um, uh they i know she has guns um her and her brother i believe joey you know they showed up with guns thinking that they i guess they were going to kill coyotes or help jesse um she said that they searched for two and a half hours um so i feel like that's a really long time and it was dark out i i would not have done it but then I was going to say, even like formal search parties don't normally search when it's exactly. pitch, pitch blackout. So. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't really know. Um, they could be hunters. I, you know, I know people who are hunters that hunt at night. You know, she knew the woods. Um, she knew both locations that Jesse claims that he was at. Um, so they basically, you know, in the parts that they could drive in the Jeep, I believe she said they had a Jeep, um, they would put the lights on and they'd like beep and then listen the parts that they couldn't, you know, get the truck to, they would just kind of search on foot. Um, but by midnight, Rachel ended up calling the cops, told them of the phone call and reported him missing. She says that cops started their official search on the 13th of August whereas when Jesse never showed up his entire um when he never showed up like the following day his family his friends and everyone else kind of you know started the search on their own Rachel told Danelle when they got the phone records back it showed he had a four minute conversation with his brother at 6 p.m which Norma also did um corroborate um but then there was also multiple calls into his bank. Apparently, he was calling in to check his balance. Rachel said that, um, oh, didn't mention it, but Rachel, Jesse, and his grandfather all worked at the same place. Um, oh, gosh. It was an ice cream place, I want to say. Oh, Libby's. Libby's, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So they all worked there. And um, Rachel said that they weren't going to get paid until the following Friday. So. You know, why was he checking his balance unless he was expecting money coming from somewhere? Um, Or he was going to spend money and wanted to make sure he had enough, maybe. That's true. Yeah. Rachel mentions something about, like, it could be about a debt he owed and he was trying to buy himself time. These are just theories she kind of pointed out. 
But <clears throat> with getting these records, she discovered that Jesse was with his friend Dustin on the tent. She questioned him, and that is when it came to light that Jesse bought meth that night, um, the 14th. Okay. Rachel claims Jesse did not use drugs while they were together. And Danelle thinks that there is weight to the theory that Jesse was on drugs and hallucinating. But let's recap that he was supposed to meet Kyle to get back money that Kyle's girlfriend stole, yet Jesse ghosted him at the time of meetup. If Jesse was so desperate for money and to do drugs, that seems like an easy way to get some. Right. So, like, kind of what I got from this, like, YouTube episode is I feel like they were kind of pushing, like, Jesse being a drug user more than what Norma kind of says that he is. So it's hard, like, was he or wasn't he? Sure. And, like, I find it contradicting that Rachel's like, oh, he never used drugs before, but now, like, money's missing and all this other stuff and kind of, like, pointing to the drug thing. So, and it's hard. Is it all just coincidences? Is it, like, I mean, you honestly don't know why he was checking his phone. Yeah, he was calling the bank to get his balance, but there's, like, we'll never know why. Like, the accurate reason why, you know. I find it interesting in this video. There's something that, like, caught my eye that I'm, like, confused about. And I feel like it wasn't resolved in the video. And I'd, like, I definitely personally me i'd love more information on it but it stated that jesse's backpack was found shortly after his disappearance because earlier i told you norma told me it was two winners until it was discovered and that's what matches what's in the newspapers danelle says rachel's family that rachel's family found a backpack behind the elementary school and it had his id in it but the backpack that was found by a hunter two winners after the disappearance it was identified by a pin that his grandfather gave him. And when he was seen, he only had one. So what is up with this additional backpack? Rachel disagrees full-fledged that it was not his bag at all. It matched the description of the bag that he was last seen with. And it had shoes and a change of clothes that he used at work. But she claims the reason why it's not his is because the pin that was used to identify it, she claims that that pins with her son. So she is saying that the backpack that was found two years later is not his backpack. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yep. And the one that was originally found was his backpack. Yes, because it had his ID in it. And the one that was found two years later, that's the one in the tree? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Just making sure I have it straight. And I'm assuming the cops went with the one that was found two winters later because that's the one that's reported about. And okay. it's also like, I guess basically why they, why Rachel's family went looking in the woods is because he gave two locations and the one that is mostly, you know, referred to is the one behind, I believe, the high school. Um, but he did mention the elementary school, so Rachel's family decided to go and look. That's where this backpack was found. But the police investigation didn't go over there at all. That's interesting. It's food for thought. And, like, they mentioned that book back with the ID briefly. I mean, you could gloss over it pretty fastly and then don't mention it again. That's and, so strange to me. <clears throat> that you, oh yeah, this is one of the most, like, uh, confusing oh yeah. things about this case so yep. far, I feel like. And, like, I did not find one article at all that ever referred to that backpack being found. All of them were this other backpack found by the hunter. Yeah, if that backpack is not his and Rachel said that their son has that pin, then someone put that there very intentionally. Yes. And honestly, so. well, the thing is, Norma thinks the bag was placed like she doesn't believe like she she believes it's his, but she believes like someone had it and then placed it there. Right. So there's a lot of questions and mystery surrounding this backpack, these backpacks, I should say. Um, 
And this video, you know, I kind of learned other things, you know, I mentioned, you know, all these people working at Libby's together. Between Rachel's information and Norma's, it seems Jesse, you know, at Libby's didn't have a strict time frame. Like someone like my sister might have. She works at a school, so she obviously has to be there during school hours. Basically, he could show up whenever. As long as he got his work done, he could show up. Rachel said in the video, though, that he typically got to work around two. And Norma okay. basically said that it just had to be after something was done by like the shift before him. As long as he showed up after that, it was good to go. Okay. So I thought that was interesting because not a lot of jobs have that flexibility, if you will. So I thought that was pretty cool. So if you're like deep into this case, as deep as I found myself, I highly suggest you watch, listen to this episode presented by Danelle. It gives a lot more information. You know, we can't post it all. And, you know, she does a great job at... um. She has like a good demeanor. She does great at, you know, reporting it. I believe she does other cases as well. She has a pretty decent following. Um, so I suggest you listen to it. I found out that Rachel did another YouTube channel with another YouTuber that was just released this past Monday. I'm kind of over this at this point, and I just didn't have it in me to listen to another one because I feel like all the information is basically the same if you will sean's just downstairs dying if you hear him i can't oh good um so rachel didn't flat out come out and tell me in our facebook chat that she believes norma was responsible but she did make the comment that the entire town thinks that norma is responsible for jesse going missing wow um, yeah which is a pretty bold statement um that is I think. bold yeah um her friend who was probing about this case also made those claims. Uh, Rachel feels that Norma has created rumors about her, Rachel's involvement in Jesse's disappearance. And she also claims Norma has harassed her in the past. You know, I did look up public records for both of them. Um, and I told Norma, I would say it. I did find a harassment charge for Norma. Um, she says it was for something else. Who are we to know? I don't have a copy of it. It doesn't tell me who it's against. It gives me the bare minimum. You can look up pub public records. They both have records. Um, and I will say the harassment charge was well before Jesse and um, Rachel had a charge. And that was well before Jesse as well. Um, I mean, not before Jesse, but before he went missing. Sure. Um, and if you're interested, you can look it up as well. Um, and so that's kind of Rachel's side. And... It's really hard. Like I said before, you're in a small town. Someone you love goes missing. Anyone could become the suspect. A lot of finger pointing, a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of emotions it is not a good mix. All I got to say. And I feel for both of them. Um, so now we're going to talk about somebody who we're going to give a different name. Um, you know. They got wrapped up with everyone involved in this case because of their job. They want to remain ugh, they want to remain anonymous. So we're gonna go by Jamie Jones. Leaves a pretty Okay. Mysterious. <sighs> so about that. Um they pretty much had the same things to say about the town that there was a rough crowd into a bunch of bad things at all times. They mentioned a nearby town called New Ringwald, which is apparently only 15 minutes away. I have never heard of this town ever in my life. <laughs> I have. 
Oh, you have? <laughs> I'm very familiar with the area. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, then maybe you already know what I'm about to say. Um, apparently there's a bar there that is popular with the drug crowd, particularly people into meth. I'm not going to mention it, the name of it. Um, <clears throat> but the cops mentioned, oh, the cops didn't mention Jamie, the person I talked to, mentioned that the cops kind of knew of the dealings of the bar, but kind of turned a blind eye. They think the reason why they did that is because a lot of fucking crazy people on a lot of crazy fucking stuff leads to bad situations. There was also a mention of, like, dirty cops. Norma feels that. Rachel feels that. Pretty much, that's the one thing that I think everyone agrees on in this case is, like, the cops, they're not happy with. So That sounds right. <laughs> so, apparently, this town is run by a family called the Belsec family. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Could not be saying it correctly, but I think that's how you say it. How is it spelled? <clears throat> it's B-E-L-S-A-K. Belsac, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. And apparently they control, like, the police. Um, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, that was a statement made by Jamie. Um, I have never heard of this family, but a quick search, and there's a lot you can search on, you can see that they had one of their own as a judge in the town and others who own businesses there. So they're very invested. And there's other articles that are also that, that pop up with this family about like people in jail and things like that. So they have a judge in Tamaqua or no, like in, in the New county. Ringold. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. So you want more information on that? Look it on up because there's sons. So clearly you can just get like a sense like this area is rough ish so we're gonna go into their theories um first theory there was a woman we're not gonna say the name she dated one of the meth dealers there have been rumors over the years that she knows more about the case than is public since this drug dealer is now dead from our source maybe she'd be more willing to talk though i asked if they knew the whereabouts they mentioned they believe she's currently in jail Okay. So I asked if they knew the whereabouts about this woman. They mentioned they believe she's currently in jail. So they believe that this is one of the most credible theories that they've heard because they've heard a lot. And they said that they've heard it multiple times from multiple different people. So who knows? The second one is they heard a rumor that Jesse was killed and buried on the land near where Brad was living at the time. They weren't sure how credible this one could be, but it is interesting to know that the person who told her this dated Brad's uncle. They said that the relationship was hostile, so maybe it made it easier to drop some hints of what could have possibly happened after they broke up. All right. It's interesting to hear Brad's name again. <laughs> and there was a rumor that this um this person that's anonymous didn't tell me, but that it was a possibility Brad would chip Jesse into his yard. Oh, my God. Of course, that's a small town rumor. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Wow, that's so, really fucked. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? Jamie basically said they don't believe they will get answers in their lifetime about this case. They believe something will happen and it could take one person to get this case solved. They also said they don't trust West Penn police either, which is how Norma feels as well. And Rachel. Jamie knew both jesse and brad and when i mentioned them being best friends they remembered it more like acquaintances and being friendly but not like buddy buddy oh that's kind of a 
big difference. It is. I would say. Which I totally agree because Norma swore they were best friends and best friends and acquaintances, they're not equal <laughs> at any stretch of the mind. Though you have to think, you know, friendships, you know, have their courses. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. At the time, this acquaintance knew Brad. There was a time when they didn't. So who knows? Maybe they were friends at some point. Norma said that she watched them as a kid. Who knows what it could be? Like I said, friendships fade in and out. And even though, you know, a friendship ends, it doesn't mean like you're not seeing each other. I mean, damn, you live in the same town. I'm sure, you know, they'd have to come across each other and they have the same circle of friends into kind of the same stuff. So I did think that was interesting. I agree with you. I guess if she said she said she had babysat Brad, is that what you had said? Yeah. So if they like grew up together and were like, best friends as kids i mean you change as you grow up absolutely so that could have something to do with it as well yeah so but i did think it was interesting well anything that's a discrepancy is interesting there's just so many different viewpoints yes exactly I kind of did not beat around the bush when I asked them about the rumor of Norma being involved in Jesse's disappearance and what um, they felt versus, you know, the rumors running amok. Jamie knows Norma, and apparently Norma had gone out of her way to help Jamie with issues they were having. Jamie said that every time they have talked and met with Norma, she is professional, well-spoken, and highly doubts that Norma is an addict, like some of these rumors suggest. And I just have to say, personally, I agree. With that sentiment, I like I said, I've had conversations with her, you know, lengthy conversations. And, you know, she definitely is professional. She's respectful, you know. And there's no like slurring, you know. You definitely was not like on anything, but you're not on drugs 24-7 and high 24-7. So, <clears throat> yeah, I I don't know, but... This person believes that she was not a drug that I'm getting confused that Norma is not a druggie. So Jamie did say that they knew about Norma and Jesse having rough rough patches in their relationship. They doubt a mother could do this to their son. But let's be honest. I agree with that sentiment because I could never imagine that. But we watched the news and I literally, literally, like two days ago, sent a news article from Florida to the podcast girls about a father who shot his five and eight year old in the head three times each and then said it was an accident. That was wow. I was just you did send that and I was not expecting to read that that was so yeah. rough and it was like but it does in the happen yeah i'm like good morning yeah. um but it does it does happen with mothers and fathers and children you know killing their parents it does happen so that's it's just not really something that you can use as kind of evidence against something exactly and They did make another good point that it would be weird if Norma had been involved because Norma has been so persistent in finding answers for Jesse and so, I don't even know how to put it, in wanting to be in the media to bring, you know, coverage to this case. 
Yeah. This person said that Norman would have to be so diabolical <laughs> and like so premeditative and thinking about how this could work. I don't know. They just don't believe that it's not an option, which that's just an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you always have to say you never know just because of all the the things we have seen being into oh, yeah. true crime and having this podcast. I'm not I'm absolutely not saying that she did it. I'm just saying crazy shit happens. Oh, yeah. Every day. Every day. So in summary of this entire long conversation we've just had. It's obvious Jesse is severely missed by his community. People just want answers. And how can you trust anyone if you have no answers? I I feel, you know, and I feel for the entire community. And it's sad knowing that there are a handful of other men missing from the area as well. That in time we will cover when I recover from doing this small town and can get enough in me to do the other ones. Um, I feel drugs definitely had some type of involvement in this entire case whether it was jesse on the drugs someone else on the drugs you know wrong place wrong time dealing with drugs xyz i think drugs had it there was just something about drugs with this case you know i get that feeling as well yeah (sighs) yep lost my thought again As we said a hundred times, you know, surrounding yourself in the drug world is likely to lead to bad things. I, you know, like I said, I won't be doing any more follow-ups unless there is a change in the case, such as evidence assessing a suspect being announced or if the case is solved we do updates on all our cases every six months anyway so there'll be like a small little blurb about it and i know sarah puts in a lot of work for those but um like if there's nothing breakthrough you know follow this i know norma's trying to do more stuff with uh she's trying to hook up with someone i think on hulu to do like a series about the people going missing there you know rachel's been talking to people there's plenty of material out there for you to listen to if you want more information about this case and to pull more of your theories try to like compare stuff do it because i'm sure there's other people just like us that put a lot of time into it and if you're invested go for it um we will be we put our all our links for our other episode out you can always look at those we'll be linking stuff to this one as well you want to do a deep dive we'll give you the information to do it um yep and just always remember there are three sides to a story as i said before there's side one side two and the truth um it's hard to kind of you know make a determination that's why we don't get paid to do that we're not the cops i'm sure they heard all these stories all these series and i can't even imagine how much follow-up and how much ridiculous stuff they had to look into if they get it they have to yeah so i just i feel for the cops as well even though everyone says that they suck um i'm sure doing this kind of stuff sucks in general um and with that if you do have any information call tamako police department at 570-668-5000. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips.